and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to all our listeners for another week. And I want to do a massive shout out to everyone that is new to our Challenges That Change Us community. Welcome aboard. As you will know, if you've been with us since the start, each week the interviews look, feel, and sound so different. Some weeks we will have an expert diving deep into their area of expertise. Other weeks we might have a motivational speaker. Another week we might have one of my friends who's telling their story for the first time. Some episodes will be smooth, some will be clunky, and some we might even have to remove some sections before it goes to air to keep our guests and audience safe. The one thing you can count on is that no two stories are the same. Each episode comes with its own flavor, and this week is no different. I want to introduce you to Roger Sutherland. He has worked in law enforcement for nearly four decades, and he is a nutritionist and the host of a podcast called A Healthy Shift, which is actually sitting in the top 30 in the Australian charts for nutrition. Roger talks about his experience with shift work. And you can hear his passion and his zest every time he dips his toe back into talking about his business. You will also hear towards the end of this episode that Roger is talking very honestly and openly about some of his experience post a traumatic event that he has been through. He discusses his experience with post-traumatic stress disorder, what it's like when he had a TIA, which is a mini stroke on the side of the road in 2022. And how today, as a result of everything he's been through, he is trying to rediscover joy. We don't go into what the experience was that caused the stress, but we do definitely talk about what it has looked like for him and how it has shown up in his world since then. This interview ebbs and flows through Roger's past and current career. We touch on strategies around nutrition, habit building, sleep and mindset. Roger is someone who spends his days helping others and he steps up to the plate today to have a really robust conversation around the challenges that he is facing right now as he maps his way through therapy. Big questions like, who am I now? What do I want in life? What does my future look like? And with that being said, let's get into this episode. Welcome, Roger, to Challenges That Change Us. I've been really excited to have you on this podcast this week. Thank you, Ali. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you too. I've been told by our editor that um, we both can talk. So (laughs) my one job is to keep an eye on the clock today because he said, yeah, two people can talk underwater. Well, I've opened the window behind me so that we don't run out of oxygen in this room. So I hope you've done the same thing (laughs) at your end. I love it. No, honestly, thank you for giving up your time today. I really love to start the podcast and this just allows the audience to get to know you a little bit on a completely different way. So my first question I love to open with is if you had an animal that best describes you, what animal would you choose and what is it about that animal? I've heard you ask this question before, Ellie, and I 
literally was driving along and I was thinking, what would I say if Ali asked me that? And then it came to me straight away. And this is not going to be one that you've probably heard before, but I'm a night owl and I'm going to go with an owl. I like to sit there quietly and just watch in the night and just watch what's going on and I don't miss a thing. Yeah, right. So definitely wouldn't have thought about an animal that's so quiet for you off what what I've heard. So Roger and I haven't met each other before. This is our first time. He's another co-podcaster in the industry. So with the owl, is it just at night or you like to observe during the day? I'm I'm an observer all the time. I'm very aware of what's around. And I think that comes with my history of my career. But I think um, what I've actually done is, yeah, I, I liken myself to the owl. I can sit there, look around quietly. You know, you don't really know they're there. They're sitting there. And then I'll just take off into the night and that'll be it. <laughs> <laughs> and your career, let's just um, have a little bit of a chat because you worked about 40 years. Is that right for law enforcement? Yeah, that's correct, Ali. I've been in law enforcement here in Victoria for almost four decades. In fact, on the 20th of August, my 38 years passed by. So um, yeah, I've been doing that frontline law enforcement for almost 38 years. Wow. Not, Not over 38 years now. What got you into that in the first place? Well, it's funny you should mention that because this is an old story, but, and my mum will laugh when she hears this, but when I was two years old, I was bought a light blue shirt and that was going to be my police shirt. And I was the policeman at two years of age. And I ended up, you know, that was just the thing at that stage when I was around that age, because everyone wants to be either a fireman or they want to be, you know, everyone wants to be a fireman. Even today, I still want to be a fireman. (laughs) But everyone does. But, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you set your aspirations on it and that's exactly what I set my aspirations on for a long, long time and ended up in law enforcement at the age of 20. Wow. And were there certain things about it that drew your attention? The way it's portrayed is all very, very glamorous. So, and, you know, you go into it with, well, your eyes are wide shut, you know what I mean? Like your eyes are literally wide shut because you've got no idea. And at 20 years of age, you've got no life experience at mm. all. You know, you're so wet behind the ears and you really haven't got any clue. So you have to learn everything at that stage and you're travelling all over the place and, you know, you're bottom of the rung and it's one of those things because, you know, it's paramilitary. So, of course, you start at the very bottom and, you know, I can remember looking at people that had like their national medals that were 15 years and thinking, oh, my God, he's done 15 years. Like, that's amazing. Like, he's so old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's come back to bite me now. How are you feeling now? <laughs> 40 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nearly 40 years later and, yeah, I must be a dinosaur. <laughs> you know, I was having this totally off topic, but I was having this conversation with someone the other day that I remember when my grandfather was 50, I was like, he is so old, you know, like I was like, whoa, he's a dinosaur. And now I'm like, whoo, 80s young. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I come through the 80s and I survive, so that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you look back on that time, because we're going to get into some of the challenges a little bit later in this podcast, but yes. before we get into that, like what are some of the gold nuggets that you've taken out of that experience? I've taken heaps. I, I think the network of people that I've um, associated with, and it's funny how you come and go. As you move around, these people are so truly special to you because it's there's a bond of where you are and what you're actually doing. So I think that's one of the things that I've I've really enjoyed about doing what I'm doing. Um, and you know, there's people that you 
form bonds with all the way through. But then there's people that you lose contact with as well and people move on. But some of the golden nuggets that I've got out of it, I mean, there's so many stories, of course, but, you know, we probably can't talk about a lot of those. But I think without doubt, one of the funniest stories ever was when I very, very first started and I was the passenger seat in the car and we were driving along. This is back in early 85, 1985. So, and I was the passenger in the car and, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. It was brand new and, you know, everything's all shiny and fantastic. And I'm sitting there in the passenger and this car just stopped in front of us and all these people just jumped out of the car and took off. And I thought, oh, wow. So I've jumped out. And, and, you know, the bloke that I was with says, go, go, go. And I thought, God, what am I going? I'm not running after them in the dark. Like, Jesus, give me a spell, you know. So anyway, what I've done is I've, I've jumped and I've seen this bloke hit a fence and go over the fence. So I've jumped up onto the fence and I've grabbed the top of the fence to go over it. But I've grabbed the gate and the gate has swung round and I'm facing backwards <laughs> to the direction from where I was actually coming from. <laughs> and, you know, even though that was in 85, it's still one of the funniest things well there's a couple but that's one of the funniest things that probably ever happened to me <laughs> I love I love a good laugh on this podcast because I think we get so much into the deep heavy stuff that it's really nice sometimes to remind us that you know there are these really great moments and like, oh hilarious yeah the ups and downs I just wish in 1984 I picked up a book, an exercise book, and started making, you know, just notes, just little notes of little things that had occurred along the way because I think had I have done that, it would be epic today. Because mm. <laughs> you do forget, don't you? Oh, like, yeah, you do. You think these yep. fabulous moments that have you in stitches on the floor or that you're so embarrassed about what just happened or, you know, you're so furious at what just happened. You think I'm never going to forget this moment for as long no. as I live. And then five, ten years later you're like someone asks you what's your funny story and you're like, oh, have I got any? You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a couple of highlights in my career. You know, I can't talk about a couple of them, but there's a couple of highlights that have been epic for me that I I, I remember very fondly. There's been a couple of traumatic incidents as well that I remember, but I do wish I didn't remember them. You know, that's one avenue and we'll talk about how that's impacted later on. But there's also, you know, a number of things that have occurred that have been just epically funny and they're great stories to tell around a a barbecue, you know, yeah. like just funny stories. And, and and when you get a group of law enforcement blokes together and, and you get on the gas and you have a couple of beers, everyone's got a story and it just occupies the whole afternoon without any doubt whatsoever. It's one of the areas when I finished, I was studying psych law and I wanted to go into forensic psychology and work with the feds. Yep. And I moved over yep. to WA to do a degree over there to go into that and transition to that. In Anyway, something happened with my family and I had to come back. And I look back now and think how different my life would be had I gone down that road and working in forensics, like, you know, I was really interested, like you said, you were as a young child, really interested in the police. And I think the thing that really drew me to that was helping people and correcting, like in my head, it was always about justice and correcting wrongs and, you know, making things right. And I know that that's not the reality, but that's for me, that's what really drew me to it. It's like, how can I be more helpful in this world? Or how can I create change in this world? Or how can I understand human behavior better so that we can make changes? How can we make a difference? Yeah. And I think we all, you know, when we're young, 
we honestly believe that we can actually make a difference. And, and don't get me wrong, the sheer volume of numbers, you can make a difference. And there are people out there that are making huge differences in areas that they actually work in with what they're doing and how they're going about doing it. But the reality of it is the weight of society is, is, is difficult now. You know, mm. it's very, very hard. And, uh, and I think where we thought we were going to put our cape on, because, you know, we've all got the superheroes that just dump into a phone box and, and come out of the phone box with their cape and their Superman suit on and, and that's how it works and they can just fly around and save the world. But, you know, it literally doesn't work like that. We all watch TV shows and no one ever seems to get bogged down with any paperwork. No one ever gets tied up with overtime and they're doing overtime and they're doing overnights and they all seem to be going home and having fun with their families or everything's just all glorified and fantastic. But no, that's literally, that's not the reality of it. And that was definitely the same with therapy when I was in that. I had so much time that I had to write notes and do all the behind the scenes stuff that a lot of my time wasn't actually spent face to face with clients. That's exactly right. Because when you look at the amount of time that people are, are are actually out now, and I think the pandemic's taught us an awful lot as well now, Ali, as well. I think what we've learned now is people can work from home. The infrastructure's in place for people to do that from home. There's so much paperwork, there's so much data that needs collecting in relation to, we're accountable to absolutely everything in life with everything now, aren't we? Like mm. we can't just put our name and our address and our date of birth in one thing and it just auto-populates to everything that we need it go to, you know. A letter lands and you've got to create something, you've got to sign it, you've got to scan it, you've got to email it off, you've got to wait for a reply, you've got to put that through, you've got to be pay this, you you know, online banking. We've where While we've eased things, we've actually complicated things as well because when the technology doesn't work, we have a massive problem, but we do tend to spend so much time and everything's now electronic in the background. And and because it's made electronic and it's been streamlined, we actually spend more time doing it. Mm. We never used to. Because we can do audio recordings and things like that now. Like if you and I were sitting here typing emails to each other, it'd be short and brief and this would be done in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so true. You know, yeah. and I was thinking as you said that around how do we help people on a mass scale versus, you know, helping just one person. I think that's probably why you started your podcast, yeah, was so that you can make a difference in people's lives. You know, Roger's got a podcast called The Healthy Shift. And for anyone that hasn't jumped on and checked that out, it is an amazing podcast. It really helps shift workers learn to not just survive, but learn to thrive in their environment. And my husband was a shift worker for 20 years. He worked calls and weekends and, you know, it was really amazing to start to listen to that podcast. I wish you were around, like he's out of it now, but I wish you were around when we were in it because we were just making our way. Like we weren't actually, it's probably one area in my life I never researched on how I could do it better. Like I'm a bit of a researcher, but that was probably one when I look back and think we just literally survived. <laughs> like we just, when we had three young kids and he was out half the night and then he'd get home and I'd still be up feeding the kids and, you know, so do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah. Well, I started off on Instagram, as everybody does with the social media side of things, so that I I was trying to get reach. And, and you do, you start to gain a bit of traction. And what I used to do, Ali, was I used to do my walk and talk because I've got the river nearby. And I used to walk the river and every single day I would do two to three minutes of just a walk and talk. I'd pick a topic and I'd just talk about it. But you know as well as I do, now Insta stories, you know, they've got a lifelong expectancy of 24 hours, then they're gone. 
people start off watching them and then they think, yeah, no big deal, you know, because they're watching for whatever, but, you know, then they start to click out of it. And the problem that we had was I wasn't gaining the traction that I wanted. I always had a passion to start this podcast and I wanted to start the podcast and I started a healthy shift as my podcast. And what I decided I would do is I would do three episodes, which were just somewhere between eight and 20 minutes, which were just going to be espresso episodes, just snapshots for people to listen to on their commute to work or on their way home from work so that they could do that. And then every second Friday, I would have an interview of someone who was relevant to the shift working community. And I would then have them talking about the, you know, as subject matter experts talking about that. And even now that's gained massive drive, you know, I've hit the top 10 in Australia in nutrition. And I mean, it drifts in and out all the time. It depends, you know, how it works. It depends on who's on and how it's going. And my goal is to actually reach as many shift workers worldwide as I possibly can with my podcast, with these snippets of information, which is now like an audio library, you know, because Mm. people can look through the topic, they can go, oh, I really like that. I'll have a listen to what he's got to say about that. So, and you know, the more following that you actually get from it, the more people give you topics to actually help, you know, so you can ask them questions on the, you know, your Insta stories, and then you can turn that into a topic. So the more you get, and I'm being invited now onto podcasts like- Like this one. Like <laughs> this Are one. Are you going to say that? I've yeah. just been interviewed by Ali Flynn. <laughs> yeah, Ali Flynn. Yeah, very exciting. I spoke about that on my story today. <laughs> The 9-11 dispatcher in the US, which I was interviewed by um, Ashley last week. See, that's exciting for me to get into the US because, you know, in the we underestimate the shift workers and how many shift workers there are, oh, um, Ali. Every, everywhere you look, and I don't think people think about that, you know. No, it's not don't. just emergency services, but it's like the cleaners, no. the people that are cooking food, the yep. you know, like everywhere you turn, someone has to do something for someone that's awake. That's exactly right. And when you have to travel and you've got to go into state and you you know, you've got to get a taxi at four thirty in the morning to get to the airport at six, you know, you've got a taxi driver that picks you up. Someone takes that call. Someone you get to the airport and then someone checks your bags mm-hmm. in. Someone's got to load the plane. Someone's got to fuel the plane. Someone's, Someone's got, got to fly, fly the, the plane. plane. Look after you. Do you know what I mean? And then someone's in the traffic controller. That's just one example of how many shift workers in Australia alone. We've got 2 million shift workers in Australia alone. That's it. Now, when you look at the population of Australia as 28 million, that's a high percentage of shift workers. Mm. What I love about your podcast is you dive deep into some particular topics, you know, like you look at sleep and how the mm. Cadian rhythms impact. You look at, I, there was one that I was listening to around organisation and prioritisation, and that's relevant yeah. to everyone. Like that's yes, not just like there's so many skills are transferable from what you've got on your podcast to everyone and every one of my listeners could benefit from listening. Thank you, Ellie, because it's interesting that you say that because I do have a bit of a mentor who actually said to me, your niche is awesome, but have you thought about sort of stepping a little bit outside of your niche as well and scooping up the people on the peripherals? Because, you know, if you go shift work, shift work, shift work, that can put a lot of people off. And as mm. you said, you've got a lot of knowledge to share with people. And I, to be honest with you, I actually, I was a little offended by it because a lot of my content is actually geared towards 
Because if you can coach a shift worker and you can put strategies in place with a shift worker, you can coach anybody, Mm. right? Because shift work's hard work, like really, really hard work. And it has massive impacts for people, like huge impacts on people's biological function, on their health, their well-being, everything. But a lot of the things that I talk to people about in my podcast and in what I put out in content on my Instagram is all strategies that people can transfer into their normal life to, to actually help them to stay in sync with their life. And you've used my catch cry and I love that learn how to thrive, not just survive life, because we really do just crawl from one day to the next, don't we? Unless we take some sort of an issue. And that's what I was saying earlier. That's how we lived for many, many years was it was just like, let's just get through the next 24 hours. And we often used to say people don't, and you know, I said this to someone this morning, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what it's like to have babies until you have babies. You don't know what it's like to live with a chronic illness until you live with a chronic illness. And you don't know what it's like to be a shift worker until you've been a shift worker. But I've listened to about five or six of them and I've gained something from every episode that I've listened to. So thank you for sharing that. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. But what I really want to get into today is the challenge. The challenge. (laughs) And I know, you know, as we've spoken about, 40 years in law enforcement, I mean, there'd be so many you can choose from. But the one that I thought we might start to talk about is there's been a massive shift there, you know, like you've gone from law enforcement. Now you're a podcaster, a nutritionist, like you're coaching a whole array of people. Like what, do you want to take us back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about what happened for you? Well, there was a challenge that changed me. There was a number of challenges that, that changed. And I think if I was just to brief it up, At around about 34 years in law enforcement, I was looking at people around me and realizing that we've got a health problem. Like we have a massive health problem for shift workers. And I remember thinking at the time, there is no help for shift workers. Like I've never been educated as what to eat, when to eat, how to go about it, what to do. And I personally suffer from a condition called sacroiliitis, which is inflammation in the sacral joint. And a lot of these conditions with inflammation in joints and problems with our health is brought about by nutrition. So I started researching nutrition and what I could have as anti-inflammatory type foods to help with that, when to eat, what to eat. Because, you know, I was the classic flip the meals to night time. I was eating pasta and, you know, pasta sauce at three o'clock in the morning. And I mean, God, you know, you put the weight on it. You've got no idea why or how it's happening. And you just think that's the right way to go about it. And I went through my own body transformation. And in going through my own body transformation myself, I I did a a challenge, uh, a 12-week challenge that I worked through under Mark Carroll, Coach Mark Carroll, and I did that. And I lost a significant amount of weight and was in really good shape. And because of the exercise that I was doing, I was feeling amazing. And I proved to myself that even at 54, 
you can literally start and start doing this mm. and change your life for the better. Once you start introducing the right quantities of the good foods into your thing, you don't have to go to McDonald's at three o'clock in the morning to eat. You know, there's ways of going about doing things. But I didn't understand what the evidence was around that. So what I did was I went to a presentation by a man that I'd been following on Instagram who's heads up Mac Nutrition Uni, that's Martin McDonald. And Martin um, did a presentation and I met him afterwards and I just said, hey, would this be any good for like shift workers? And he just goes, oh, the solution for shift workers is don't do shift work. And I said, hang on, wait a minute, we can't do that. We can't do that. (laughs) We can't do that because who's going to fly your plane and pack your bags and answer your triple zero call if you need an uh, an ambulance or if you need a um, you know you need the police or or you know what's going to happen if you need a cab or you know um, when you order your new iPhone who's going to manufacture that for you overnight so that you know they can keep up with production and we need to do that and he just laughed at me and said no no you know just don't do shift work because it's so bad for you. But it's funny, Ali, because he came back to me about two weeks later. He actually messaged me through my Instagram and said, I've been thinking about what you said because I said, I really want to learn evidence-based nutrition to help shift workers because there is no help for shift workers anywhere in the world that from a, a shift worker. Like there's plenty of people that have studied shift work. There's plenty of people that have, um, you know, a lot of research on shift workers is done how can I put it? It's done by simulating shift work, like grabbing you and putting you, keeping you up overnight and seeing the impact that that has. But that's that's not right because it doesn't work that way because I think shift workers' circadian rhythms learn to adjust very quickly. Our body's a very clever unit, so it learns to adjust. And I wanted to do this and he contacted me and he said, I've actually got a spot on Make Nutrition for you. Now, this is a worldwide exclusive course. This is the gold standard in nutrition. It's um, And there's only 400 people that are accepted every year to do this. I jumped at it and I have zero regrets. My life has changed ever since I started. Now, I will tell you this, at 54, going back to study nutrition, I'd only gone two modules in and I was pulling my hair out and I thought, <laughs> What on earth have I done? (laughs) Yeah, going back to school and studying. But I was so passionate about nutrition and helping shift workers, and I knew I was in a niche that I pushed on, pushed on, pushed on. And, you know, I chose really difficult subjects to write my case studies on, like PCOS for women, because I wanted to learn as much as I could about women's health, particularly the impacts around shift work. So I graduated from that and I started my business and I sat there with my partner and I thought, what am I going to call this business? And she came up with a healthy shift. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I wasn't a fan to start off with, but it's worked really well. Oh, it's a great name. It's a great name because it, um, it's got a bit of a pun in it and, you know, it, you know what it is. Yeah, not only that, but it's not only about shift work, Ellie. It's also about people going from a poor place in health to a good place in health as well, mm-hmm. making a healthy shift. Because, you know, this can be mental. This can be health and well-being. It can be your, you know, as I said, your mental health. It can be so many reasons, you know, so many things. And I can take this in any direction that I actually want to take it into, mm. but I've drilled in and homed in on shift work because that seems to be where the traction is coming from. And people just message me now and say, and literally what you just said, Rog, where have you been 
all my life, all my shift working life. Like I've never been educated like this at all. And it's all free information that's been given away. Mm, which is fabulous. So what you've, you've talked about what got you into that nutrition space, but what, what happened next for you? Like, so you opened your business yeah. or, you know, did you stay yeah. in law enforcement? Like what did it look like yeah. for you? Yeah. In law enforcement, I actually went part-time to focus on the business. So I was doing eight shifts a fortnight. I dropped two days so that I could spend two days on the business. That created pressure for me. And then I went through some, it'd be fair to say, I went through significant stress at work in the work environment. I didn't realise how stressful it was uh, until I look back on it now, but I didn't realise just how stressful it was until... One day, even on leave, it was impacting on me so much. I went for a walk with my partner and I was only not even two blocks from home heading out and I was talking to her and suddenly I couldn't speak anymore. I lost the whole use of one side of my body and I I knew instantly I was having a stroke. I could feel it. I knew that that's what was actually happening. Now, Ellie, you got to remember, I'm a very, very fit and healthy man for my age. I certainly wasn't carrying body fat. I'd just gone through a body transformation. I was training in the gym five or six days a week. I was in good shape. And that's how stress gets you really bad. Mm. And I've honestly... I get a bit emotional when I think about it, but I, I, I literally, I honestly thought that I was going to die on the side of the road in my partner's arms that day and I couldn't talk. I was aware of what was going on, but everything went fuzzy. I couldn't move my arm. I couldn't move my leg. I was in a really, really bad way. I knew I had my phone and then suddenly, because Melissa, my partner, looked at me and she was horrified. She said my eyes were like dinner plates because I just couldn't speak. And I knew, and I, in your, my mind, it literally just flashed through my mind that this is how it ends. Mm. You know, this is literally how it ends. And I could see my kids and I could see, you know, everything was just going through my mind. And then Melissa was trying to reach for her phone and she didn't have a phone on her. And she goes, I can't get my phone. I can't get my phone. And I remember saying to her, call triple zero. And all of a sudden that came out of my mouth and I thought, oh, I can talk. And I said, call triple zero, but I still couldn't reach in to my pocket. Mm. And I suddenly I was able to reach into my pocket and I was able to hand my phone to her. Then she goes, but I haven't got your, your keypad to pin it. I can't pin it. I don't know how to open your phone. Well, of course you don't need to do that on your phone. You, you know just- that though, because you're a law enforcement. Not everyone knows that. It's amazing in the time of crisis, what you don't know no, and what, what comes to mind. That's right. It's what you forget though, yeah. because Melissa, my partner, works at Triple Zero, right? So she's a she's a police radio dispatcher and call taker. So she's well and truly aware. Like, <laughs> it's well and truly aware of what Do you know, that stress. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because I want to come back to around the stress, but I'm thinking yep. of a really funny story and I have to tell that here. I was um, leaving a pub one night and I was driving because I was a sober driver and the car in front of me, a guy rolled off the ute and I needed, like there was three of us in the car. We jumped out. We had to give CPR and I had to run to the payphone back then because there wasn't mobile phones. Right. And the things that you do in those moments, I took off my belt. I took off my jumper to run to the payphone. Like what? 
Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. Like, why couldn't why I run to that? the payphone with my belt and jumper on? Like, it's one of those moments that I'm sure Melissa can like be like, yes, it's just, yeah. you just act. Muscle memory. Yeah, and yeah. this is why we want everyone doing first aid all the time yearly because yeah. you want to have it in your muscle memory. But we are getting completely off track because I want to yeah. ask around. Yeah. So what did, what did they say happened and you were talking about yeah. stress? Okay, so they called triple zero and a stroke ambulance arrived straight away and they were very good. They hook you up to everything. They talk about it and they said, it looks like you've had a TIA because I was then quite, not fully lucid, but I was then quite lucid at that stage. They said, it looks like you've had a TIA. Now, a TIA is a transient ischemic attack, which is, it's called a TIA if it's an episode that lasts less than 24 hours or it's called a stroke if it goes longer than 24 hours. And generally with a stroke over 24 hours, you end up with some form of a deficit. So, you know, you have some sort of a problem or you use the use. I've been blessed, Ali, because I was put in the ambulance and I was taken to Royal Melbourne Hospital by the, the girls on the ambulance. And it was at that moment that I decided that, I'm not going to be just a nutritionist and help shift workers. I need to help shift workers with health and well-being and their mental health and make them understand just how important it is to monitor and look after your mental health and your well-being, not only just your nutrition side of things. Or just your physical health because sometimes I think we think, you know, if we're going to the gym every day that we're doing our bodies a favour, but sometimes we can be working against our bodies. You know, I'm the biggest, like I own a gym, so I'm the biggest believer in movement, but, you know, it's understanding your own bodies and understanding what stress looks like and how it shows up in your world. And, you know, when that tips over, which is I think what I heard you say earlier, it was like you thought you were doing all of this stuff, the last thing you would have thought someone would say to you is this happened because of stress. Yep. And then I got to the, the to the Royal Melbourne and, you know, my blood pressure, he did the bloods, he did the CT scan, the MRI. I had every test that you could possibly think of that was done and they could find nothing at all. And that's literally what a TIA leaves you with. It leaves you with absolutely no evidence that it's been there at all. And what happened with that was, I said to the specialist, which was a neurologist that was there, that was called in, what's happened? And he goes, talk to me about your job. Talk to me about what's going on. Talk to me about everything else. And he goes, that's stress. That's literally stress that's done that. Now, this is where we have to be so careful, Ali, as well. Exactly what you've said. You own a gym and we need to be in a sympathetic state while we're exercising. And that's really, really important because there's good stress and there's bad Mm. stress, as you know. Mm. But we need to be in that sympathetic state, but that's not a good place for us to live. And we need to get out of that into a parasympathetic state as soon as we can. And this in particular is where our nurses, our police, our paramedics are really suffering at the moment, really suffering. with Since this pandemic, they're really suffering. They're being left in a sympathetic state. So I've been working with people on helping them around that. I was just going to say it's it's that, you know, when we talk about another way to say it is your flight fight response and it's like I always describe it when you're in a jungle and you see a lion and you need to react, you need to react and get out of there but then you calm down. And imagine if that lion was following you around every day, all day for weeks, months, years on end, you can imagine how tight your body would get and how like caught up your mind would get and that survival instinct just being on high alert over a long period of time is extremely damaging. And I think the biggest risk we run is we don't realise that that's actually happening in the first place. That was what scared me the absolute most, Ali, because I thought I was the king and on top of the world with everything that I was doing. At my age, 
I'm fit, I'm healthy, everything's good. But I didn't realise, even though there was significant work stress, right, that was brought about unnecessarily, but there was significant work stress, but I didn't realise how much it's impacting. And, you know, you say when the lion's stalking you and following you around the jungle, that's literally what it feels like that you feel like you're walking around with a target on your back and it's really horrendous. And even though you don't, there might be days when you don't realise, you can still leave yourself in that sympathetic state because you're hypervigilant as Mm. well. And being hypervigilant is not a good place to be because you are very stressed doing that as well. And I think that's where it ties in beautifully when we talk about anchoring yourself, about breath work, about mindfulness, about Mm. taking a moment and being in the present. Because if you can imagine that flight fight response, it's like, what's going to happen next? What's behind me? What's in front of me? What's behind me? What's in front of me? As opposed to let's just anchor, let's just breathe. Let's just, you know, notice the here and now. Absolutely spot on. If there's one thing that I've wanted to learn for a long, long time, is meditation because I can't quieten my mind. (laughs) That'll surprise you, (laughs) right? But I can't quieten my mind down enough to meditate. I've got two ways I go when I meditate. I either fall asleep or I just can't quieten it at all. And I find I really, really struggle. And it's a practice that I've really, really wanted to learn, Ali. And believe it or not, where Melissa does her yoga, the studio down the road here is literally starting a four-week meditation course which I'm taking. And it's being done by a girl who's just done her PhD in psychology. Yeah, um, She's just finished her PhD and she's a certified meditation instructor or teacher or whatever she's certified to do it. And she's going to help me to go through that. And yeah. I'm I'm hell-bent on doing this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's learning the tools because quieting the mind can sometimes be language that we use around it and we think we need to switch our minds off completely, but it's not necessarily that. But I was actually thinking for you, Roger, with everything you're saying, that walking meditation might be something that works for you, Mm. you know, and it is about trying all those different things. But something I'm really curious about is you've talked a little bit about, you know, what happened and they told you it was stress and now when you look back, at the time you didn't know, I want to know in hindsight, in hindsight, when now when you go back and you reflect on your experience, what have you learnt? What would you now be able to talk to that you couldn't in that moment leading into the TIA? I think we have to check in with ourselves and I think we need to be extremely mindful and accepting. In today's day and age, we can't just keep buttering up every single day and we need to I think mindful practice is very important. If there's one word of advice that I would give anybody, and I've done a podcast on this, and I think if you've listened to it, you would have probably fully related to it as well, is how you look at it is how it's perceived. Mm. And I think one of the most important things with this is we need to practice gratitude and be grateful for what is good in our life, and we need to filter out the bad. We need to filter out those things because whereas we can't control what people are doing around us, we can certainly control our reactions to it. But I don't really know. I'm, I've got to be honest with you, Ali, and I'll be brutally honest here. I'm still working my way through this to try and find out. It's still very raw for me. Yeah, it's extremely I raw. I have major issues that I'm, I'm working through. And you will understand because of your own background that I can get on my Insta story and talk like I'm on top of the world and everything's absolutely fantastic and then put the camera down and literally sit there with my head in my hands and just want to break down Mm. because 
of you know I've had basically what's been a, an illustrious career that's been snapped away from me in a big way that's beyond my control, completely mm. beyond my control mentally, and I've now been diagnosed with PTSD as a result of the behaviours of others and anxiety. And I can refer back to your episode with Jess, and I hope Jess is listening to this one because. I related to so much what Jess said. It was such a good episode between the two of you with the way you spoke about how anxiety can severely impact and catastrophizing things. Mm -hmm. And I've had to rein myself in with catastrophizing and stop because to date I've survived every single thing that's occurred to me in my life and I will survive this as well, the next thing to survive. Anxiety is awful to live with. It's it's absolutely dreadful. Yeah, especially when it came from where you least expected it. Yeah, and I think by the sounds of it, Roger, what you're saying is that, and I love that you can say this, is you're still on the journey. I know a lot of people like, mm. you know, react to that word, but I love that word because it really, really is all of us as humans and we never stop learning, we never stop growing, we never stop unpacking and we never stop being like, Oh, I didn't know that about myself. Now, how is that going to influence me going forwards? But, you know, when I hear you talk about even the PTSD, what was that like for you when they named that? Was that helpful? Was that scary? Like, what did that mean for you when you got told that? It's interesting. I've been under a psychologist for two and a half years, mm. and I see a psychologist. I've been seeing a psychologist for two and a half years, and I've now started under a psychiatrist to dig in further to try and work everything out and try and find out. Like the psychologist that I've had has been amazing and, you know, I love her to death and she's fantastic. She, bless her soul, she sits there and she listens to me. The psychiatrist, it's a completely different attack as you would understand. It's very, very different. He got a very quick handle. He's a very experienced man, got a very quick handle on what was going on, what caused it. And he's going to put me into a program, which he's going to help me with it, which my understanding is, and I think you'll do with the, something to do with the eye movement. Is it? Mm. Rapid, oh, oh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Rapid um, eye movement therapy doing, is that that's what? It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to put me into REMT. Well, he suggested a program of rapid eye movement therapy. Now, I, I thought, wow, that's weird. How does that work? But you know what? I don't care at the moment because I just want to recover from this. And that's the very reason why I've gone down the line that I've gone down because I need I need help with it. It's all well and good for me to sit there and talk to people. I'm teaching people from a position so they don't get to the stage where I got to. I can see our nurses, our paramedics, our police, I can see them really suffering and buckling under the pressure on the back of the pandemic now, Ali. And they really are. They're really under a lot of pressure. And I'm trying to help them now to identify behaviours and things that are recurring to them to put themselves first mm. and start putting themselves first and start identifying that when you become snippy at home, start to look a little bit deeper as to why that's occurring, because this can be one of the first signs that you are starting to really buckle and, and, and your biological, you know, as you know, the biological function in your body starts to go haywire and starts to really cause problems. And you don't feel that because as you progressively slip into that, it's not like there's been a massive change. You progressively slip into it. Well, I describe it, you know, if we go back to that lion story, I'm like, if there is a lion that's 10 metres away from you, you're not going to feel the thorns under your feet. 
You're not going to no. feel the pebbles under your feet. You are just going for it. So, you know, that's the analogy that I use when I say to people, you, you, that's why you don't recognize it because your body's saying to you, I've got this, I'm just going to soldier on. I'm like in survival mode, I'm doing this and I'll do it at all costs. And I think, I do think we're on a, like a crash course for many, many teachers, doctors, ambulance workers, like you name anyone that has not even taken a break over these last few years that they won't even know what that feeling is that, you know, I think once you've been there and you've crashed, you're like, whoa, how did I not see that? Like there was this big, big elephant in the room that I didn't even know about. And if I had have known, would it have changed it? Maybe not because we don't know what we don't know, as we've already said. But I just yeah. also want to, Roger, there's a, I, I don't want to move on yet because I just want to acknowledge so much, want to just hold this space for you. I know how much courage it takes to get on when your job is helping others and being an expert in industry to stand up and say, I need help and to stand up publicly yep. and say, I'm seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yep. You know, yep. I just, it puts tears in my eyes because I'm so proud of you as a man to be on this podcast and to say that out loud to all of our audience to help them and to say, it's okay to do that. It's okay to search for answers that are going to be right for you. It's okay to not know. It's okay to try a few different things and some of them not work. And yep. it's okay not to get it first time round. Oh, it isn't easy. You know, it's not the happy stuff that you want to be sharing. I did a podcast with Victoria Devine and Victoria discussed this and I wanted to flesh this out because this is really important to hear that from a woman. But I want to be a man too because... I think you're more of a man to stand up, put your hand up, say, hey, I need help here. And I do. I need help. And with the people that I've I've actually spoken to, you know, it's okay to be medicated. It's okay to take medication because it helps you to find that balance so that you can function. It's okay to sit down with a therapist and talk about what you're actually doing. And then when a therapist identifies certain areas that maybe she doesn't have the expertise to dig right into that area there, you then go and you see a psychiatrist and you have a chat with a psychiatrist around those sort of things as well, who can identify the problem and will have strategies and ways to work through that, which is why you know, I'm excited for a number of things. I do a lot of self-help stuff. I'm a very, very positive person, Ali. And, you know, I've got a, an amazing partner, an amazing family. I've got, you know, my circle is very small with the people that are around me because I've lost a lot of trust for the people that are around me. And that's part of the anxiety and what's actually occurred. But the people that are with me now add value to my life. And I keep in my life to add that value to me. And a lot of people keep people in their life just because they've been there all the time. It's okay to move away from people that are dragging you down and causing you problems. And I'm, I now associate with people who are very motivated, that very push into the direction that I want to go in. I'm very positive about my business and helping people. Like I don't get on a... <laughs> I don't get on a, a client call feedback and tell them all about my problems with what I'm doing. People that are hearing this today, if when I share this and people listen to this, this is going to be the first time they're going to hear this, mm. right? They're not going to know that this is the sort of thing that I deal with in the background every single day. And that's a lesson in itself, isn't it, Ellie? Yeah. What you see is not necessarily what is actually 
occurring. Yeah, and and it's such a powerful, powerful message. And I think what you're talking about there when you say, you know, we do outgrow people in our world and that's not saying that you don't love them any less or it just means that I sort of more talk about it is who have you got in your corner that inspires you and who have you got in your corner that is your cheerleader and who have you got in your corner that, you know, you feel like you every time you near them you are just bouncing off walls and they're the people yeah. significantly that change in your life. As you grow, as you expand your bandwidth, potentially you're searching for that next level of people who are beyond where you are right now so that you can aspire to be more like that or get inspired to be more like that and that's completely normal and healthy. And I think, you know, I think we hold on to relationships sometimes too long when they are unresourceful for us. One of the examples that I often use is if you're not at your best when you're around someone, you need to ask the questions about that. Is it to do with the relationship? Is it to do with the way you're responding? Is it to do with the toxicity? Is it to do with the danger, the safety, that like what is going on and, and being able to look at those relationships individually and assessing that and making that decision that's right for you. Is this helpful for me right now? Is this resourceful? Is this adding value? Do I love them and care about them? But right now I'm I'm not the best when I'm around them. Like just asking those questions. You don't have to make any decisions off those questions, no. but just starting to get curious about some of those things. One thing that's taught me the last two years in particular, and this comes from like courses that I've done and the people that I've worked under and worked with, is mindful practice. And I think mindful practice is a game changer in life. Checking in with yourself and asking yourself literally what you just said there. It's the same as I work with clients because I work with clients around the intuitive eating area. Yes, that's a great area to do it in. Yeah. So you check in with yourself and you say, I'm hungry. And you find yourself at the pantry. Hang on. Am I really hungry? Where did this come from? What am I doing here? And I work with clients on that with the the intuitive eating with the hunger scale and things like that. You know, the hunger scale has been a game changer for people. When people literally just stop and check in with themselves. So why don't we stop and check in with ourselves when it comes to our mental health as well? Like, Just ask yourself the question. Or our social group or our, you know, I'm thinking of that intuitive eating and that hunger scale. I can pop that up in our Challenges That Change Us Facebook group because I have that. But one of the, to lay that one deeper for our listeners, a great question you can ask yourself in that very moment is, I can have it, but do I really want it? Give yourself permission, but ask the question, do I really want it? You know, and I think sometimes they're just these Mm. little questions that we're not meant to know at all. It's why we have experts in industry. (laughs) And what we say this year might be completely different in 10 years. Like we've both been, you know, you've been in law enforcement. I've been in fitness and psychology. Like the research changes over time. So just having that open, I guess, open book to be, yes, I'll learn everything I can learn off everyone that's in my world at a pace that's right for me. I think intuitive eating is without any doubt whatsoever the way forward. And the evidence supports it, Ellie. And I think like you've just literally said, ask yourself, do I want it? Do I need it? I don't really want it. I think the next question around that is, it's going to be there tomorrow. I can have it tomorrow. Or in three hours. Or in three hours. Put it off for a few hours and have it later on. It's when you deny yourself it, 
is all you want. That's human nature yeah. that when you say, I don't want it. Now, a lot of people misunderstand intuitive eating. And as you know, there's like 10 principles of intuitive eating and it's a whole program to work through. And that is the program that I coach my shift workers through because shift workers don't have time to track, to weigh, to, you know, to food in containers and do all that sort of stuff. So we do go down that intuitive eating line to get them to check in with themselves and that mindfulness. But I also get them, my coaching is also very holistic in before you rest your head at night, you've got to write three things down that you're grateful for. And you've got to write those three things Mm -hmm. down to empty your mind and to change that reticular activating part of your brain to start filtering the good, start looking for the good instead of bogging yourself down so that your brain's busy, you can't sleep. Sleep is everything. There's no doubt about it. Oh, my God. It's the number one recovery tool. The research is overwhelming in this space. Number one recovery tool for physical activity, for mental activity, for relationships, you name it, productivity, like Oh, wow, I just, I think we're really behind the eight ball on sleep. There's a lot of information out there, but I think sometimes it's like, well, where do I go to get it? Or it's overwhelming to even start. The thing that I notice with sleep is when I say to people, what are your five sleep strategies that you use when you can't get to sleep or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're trying mm. to get back to sleep? And people are like, huh? I'm like, well, what are five strategies you use? And they're like, I don't even have one. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So step one is let's fill that toolbox up. We don't know what's going to work, but you need to have like 25 you can choose from. I always work with clients as well around that, Ali, as if this happens, I will do this. Because I think if you have a strategy of if this happens, I will do this. When this happens, you do that Mm. because that's your muscle memory, isn't Mm. it? So it's like when I talk to my shift workers, like my paramedics or police, and you know, they're going to go to the gym after work. So when they get overtime or they're stuck ramped at a hospital and they can't get to the gym, everything all falls apart for them. So what I do is I say to them, put a strategy in place. If I'm going to go to the gym after work, but if I get overtime, I'm just going to go for a walk and just Mm. get half an hour of a walk in and I'll feel heaps better. And what they tend to do then is When they get the overtime, instead of cussing, they go, okay, so I've missed out on the gym now. I'm just going to go for a walk because they've already thought that's the plan. Yeah. And that it's, it's taking that decision away. It's taking that, you know, that microsecond of what am I going to do? Oh my God, I've gone into overwhelm as to, oh, I know if X happens, I'll do Y. And that's where, you know, just writing down, like when I'm at work, what is five places I can go to get lunch? What are five snacks I can have? Just that simple planning makes a huge difference. It's a massive difference. I do have a question, Roger, that I want to ask you though, because we're kind of dipping in and out here. And I guess what's sitting there for me is with everything we've been talking about, because we keep slipping back into clients, but when we're talking about you, what for you has been the hardest part of this journey? Not understanding why I'm where I am today. No, I mean, I've chosen my coaching to go forward with that, but I don't understand why what happened to me happened. Around the TIA or around the stress? Around everything. The stress. The TIA, why? I don't understand. And that's the the toughest question that I'll never, ever get an answer to as to why. I won't. I'll never, ever get an answer to it. So what do you do with that? If you know that you're not going to get an answer to a question and that's the question that's your burning desire, Mm. what are you going to do with that? I don't know. 
That's what I'm working through at the moment. I don't know. I need the help with that because one of the worst things for me is, you know, with everything that I've gone through in my time in law enforcement, I've dealt with some horrendous issues and some horrendous things in my whole time. But they're not personal. And I think this is not easy for me to talk about, actually, but they're not personal. There's a lot of issues that that have a lot of things that have occurred that I've seen. I've seen a lot, I've done a lot, and it's never affected me. I've always butted up and turned up the next day because it was never personal. And then it became personal and I've never understood why. And my psychologist has helped me to understand that the reason why it's impacted on me so much is because it was a clear personal attack. And that's all it was. It was a clear personal attack. And I still to this day don't understand why. Now, that's why I'm getting the help now, because this is this is what is so oppressive for me and what bogs me down so much is when I think about it, I still to this day don't understand why. I can't understand why. I don't. And is that understanding, is that understanding not understanding why they did what they did or is that understanding yes. not understanding how you your body reacted that way even though you were doing all the things you thought were right? No, I can understand. Now, well, I didn't at the time. I didn't at the time because the resentment was horrendous at the time because of what happened. Because once I'd been told the reason why it had happened and had it all explained to me and it was researched, I then understood that it was the stress that had done it. Yeah. But then I, it just gave me more reason to resent the reason why it had actually occurred. Yeah, the um, other people's behaviour, just for the listeners. So we're yeah. talking about someone else's yeah. behaviour caused a group had of a, yeah, had a huge impact that increased your stress that resulted in what we're talking about here today. So you're saying for you now, actually the unanswered question is around why did they do what they did? Yep, that's it. As opposed, what? yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, Al, there's going to be so many listeners that resonate with that. Like why did they do what they did? And that's a tough answer because, as you said really early in the podcast, we don't have control over other people's behaviours, but that doesn't no. stop us having a reaction. And sometimes we get so good at being an adult self that we can, like, suppress and compress our reactions so much that they come out in another way. You know, they come out in that stress, in that body stress, in that mind stress. Yeah, and I've had to work really, really hard to not have it come out to the people that are close to me that I love yeah. and adore as well. And that's, yeah. that is another battle alley in itself yeah. to make sure. And when you take five minutes and you go for your walk, now I'm very, very performance driven, right? Yeah. So I, I'm driven towards my business, but I do think that in the two years, the last two and a half years, I've thrown myself heavy into the business and that's been my escape from that, which means I haven't dealt with it. I would suggest that it means that I haven't dealt with it. Well, I'm thinking a couple of things here and I guess I guess for people listening, I'm thinking about one is if you're out there and you have this burning desire like what Roger's talking about, you know, that I don't understand why, that's a really good time when you go to therapy, like you're saying, Roger, where you can go and have those conversations and spend the time it deserves because it's something in your world that's eating away at you at the moment. So that's a really good example when to go to therapy for counselling, to see a psychiatrist, to see a therapist, whoever it is in your world. But the other part that you're talking about is you threw yourself into business. And I just want to say in that space, we all have coping skills and they look different for everyone. And coping skills aren't always a bad thing. It's only when they're not working for you anymore. So I would even say potentially 
setting up your business is exactly what you needed in that moment. You're exactly where yep. you're meant to be. But I guess now, now when you're starting to reflect, you're like, is it still helpful for me? Do I need to actually be looking at something else? And the answer might be yes and the answer might be no, but that's kind of what I can hear with you. Like you're in that place of exploring. Yeah. Oh, well, I am because the psychiatrist has also diagnosed me with, um, uh, because I, um, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, he's actually diagnosed me with anhedonia as well, right? The things that you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore. Yes. Is that yeah. right, anhedonia? Now, I... I loved going to the football, and this is this is talking about so that people understand where you how it can ruin your life, yeah. certain things, and it comes from nowhere that you don't realise. Yeah. But through COVID, I never bothered going to the football at all. Obviously, it was stopped early on, but then when football came back, I, I had no desire. Now I used to go to the footy by myself every week, every week, home and away, and I would go to the football, and I loved it. I never went with anybody else. I just like to go by myself. I'd catch the train into town. I'd go for a walk to the MCG or to Marvel Stadium. I would then go into the game. I'd stand there in my same spot. I'd have my beer. I'd have a chips, you know, and then I would at halftime go to the bathroom, grab another beer, blah, 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 you know, and then grab the six donuts on the way out and walk back. And that was my routine. And I loved it. I never had to count on anybody else. I never had to do anything. But I lost the desire. I was still a member, but I lost the desire to go to the football. And I thought, oh, I've just got to break the ice and go. And that's all I've got to do. You know, like it's not a problem, but it was only five weeks ago, four or five weeks ago that my partner and I, Melissa and I went to the football because our teams were playing each other and it was at Marvel stadium. It was under the roof. It was fine. We, We used to do this quite often. And I went to the football and I sat there and I had nothing. I had nothing. As in no feeling, as in no feeling of joy, no feeling of excitement. No. Yeah. Nope. And their team kicked away and then my team came back and was getting closer and closer and closer and it should have been exciting. I should have been frustrated with umpires. I should have been frustrated with how I used to be, you know, frustrated with what I just had nothing. I felt nothing for this game and I actually text one of my best mates, and I said, is this where football's got to? Like, is football this bad? And he goes, no, it's not that bad at all. This is not a bad game. It's a good game. And I'm thinking, Uh-oh. oh, Jesus. So <laughs> yeah. that's where I started. Yeah. But this is how it comes out, Ellie, yeah, and you yes. don't realise that you lose pleasures for things that you used to really enjoy. I don't enjoy leaving the house. I'll go to the supermarket because I'm comfortable with going to the supermarket and coming back. And Jess spoke about this in her episode. Mm. You know, I'm quite happy to go out to the supermarket and come back. I'll go, you know, if I've got to go and get a haircut, I'll go and get a haircut, come back, you know, uh, whatever. For me to go to an event, it's a massive – I book it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm really excited. That's going to be great. But then when it comes to the day, I'm looking for excuses to try and get out. Oh, um, oh the wind changed direction. Oh, I haven't done my nails or, or you know, mm. whatever. And, and then I don't want to go. But then when I drag myself – and, of course – and you'll know that but a psychologist has said to me, you've got to force yourself to go to break the ice to get there. And, you know, the last big event that I went to, I just I did everything that I could do to get out. My daughter was supposed to come with me. I resented the fact that she let me down at the last minute and wasn't going. And that was almost like a security blanket for me to go. And I want to talk about that as well in a minute. But I went to the function and I felt like a fish out of water for a bit of time there. But then 
I was introduced by one of the hosts to two guys and I stood there and had the best night out. Mm. I, I loved it. I networked with these people around my business and what they were doing and how we could work together doing things together. And that just became it just became a network event for me. Like it was fantastic. So you've got to break that ice. And I think what you're saying there is a great example for everyone to listen to. It's like you went to the footy and you didn't feel it and then you went to the event and you did feel it. So it's like, you know, you had to put yourself in two different scenarios and that doesn't mean next time you go to the footy you're not going to feel it or you might or we're not sure and we're working through that. But like that, I love that you were able to give two very different examples with that and both of them were hard and you were surprised at the response at both of them, right? You thought the footy would be something you could easily love and feel it again and then the event was something you were really nervous and anxious about and then that was ended up being something you really loved. Yeah. So it's it's putting yourself in different environments and different scenarios and 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 starting I guess just starting. And you mentioned Roger about um your daughter you said you wanted to loop back to that? Yeah, I did. When you're impacted the way I've been impacted People have got to understand as well that I didn't realise how heavily I actually lean on my partner, Melissa, now. She's like a security blanket to me. If we're going somewhere and Melissa's with me, I'm more than happy to go anywhere, anytime, do anything, like going to the football that day. I knew I was with her. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like I've got to hold her arm and look around. It's just almost like a security blanket. I feel very uncomfortable with that because I've always been incredibly independent, right? But I, if Melissa says, oh, let's go to the shops, no worries. I'll jump in the car. I'll go, don't give it a second thought. But if I've got to go myself or I've got to go somewhere myself, I have to really second guess or force myself to go and do it. So that's what I was doing. So I was really surprised when my daughter let me down at the last minute. I was really surprised by my reaction to it. And that was when I started doing some soul searching and started realizing that I'm actually leaning on people that are close to me as a security blanket. Now, not as I said, not that I'm holding them. It's just that I just feel comfortable that they're there to protect. But I guess what we're also hearing there is that when they when they can't come or something pops up, then there's a level of frustration or anger and it's like, whoa, what just happened? Like that's not A, that's not right. my norm or B, you know, it is so easy for us to react to the people that are closest to us. Like you're yes. saying how much you need your daughter, but then you get upset when that she's not like it's that, you know, this is what happens. And these are the unspoken words that people don't hear about. This is why we're doing this podcast so that, yeah. you know, so we are pulling back the curtain and having really honest, like you guys go and listen to Roger's podcast. You would never, ever believe what we're talking about no. here right now. It's no. a completely different side. And, yeah. you know, I think being vulnerable in this space hopefully is what's going to change lives. But I guess the other thing that I really do want to say around this is you can hear as you're talking, Roger, that there is a lot of it's like you're trying to work out who the new you is and what yeah. you want to hang on to from your past and what you're prepared to let go of. And that's not something that happens overnight. You know, I don't want people to think that's something you can just do a two hour workshop and be like, oh, great. This is exactly who I want to be. And these are the parts I want to keep. And these are the parts I want to let go of. It's like, it's not as easy as shedding a skin of a snake. It's like, there's some really big spotlighted moments that you need to do on some really big core beliefs. Like if your core belief is that you have to work every weekend to be successful and then all of a sudden you can't work weekends because a doctor's told you you're stressed, what does that do with this story you've told yourself your whole life for the last 40 years or 50 years, you know? So that's what we're hearing as, as you're talking. It's like, who am I now? What, yeah. what do I want to keep? What do I want to hold on to? What do I want to fight for versus what do I want to let go of? What's no longer serving me? 
what does this mean for me going forwards? Who am I in this place now that l- things look different? Like the colors look different. The football feels different. The My experience with my wife is different. My partner, like, you know, yep. I think that that's, it's a very hard place to be, but it's a very exciting place to be, which is exactly what you said at the beginning of the podcast. You know, you're excited about what you're exploring. It doesn't oh. make it easy. No, because there's still the battles, but I'm very excited for my future with what I'm doing. But can I just say, thank God I've got that. That's all I can say, you know, thank God I've got that. And my doctor, my psychologist, psychiatrist, and my doctor are all very supportive of me running the business as therapy to recover and give me an incentive to keep going forward because I don't want to be someone that sits there, you know, in my wife runs dribbling a beer down the front of myself, you know? I just don't want to be that person. And I get excited, you know, doing things like that. I'm making decisions that, you know, self-medication's not the solution, you know? Drinking alcohol's not the solution. So we've stopped drinking and things like that. I'm not saying that I was using it to medicate, but it's easy something that can slip into your daily routine that does cause you grief. So I stopped doing, we've stopped having our drinks and that as well. I get to walk my daughter down the aisle in two months' time and I'm really super excited about being able to do that or be in the position to do that too. So um, I think the message, the overall message out of this is is be excited for the future. Do some mindful practice when you're in environments that you feel oppressed in and get rid of, cut them out like a cancer if they are dragging you down and find the people that uplift you and push through with those people that uplift you. And I think that's probably one of the most important. And don't be afraid to seek help, you know. And I think if I can just cap this off as well, sorry. In Australia, under Medicare, you can actually go and see your GP as a bulk bill GP, which costs you nothing, and he can write you a mental health plan where you can get 12 psychology sessions that cost you nothing to just start and establish a pattern with that. And I share this on my story for people because I think people get frightened about the cost and things like that. They don't realise that hang the expense, get the help but it's free. And also that's just sometimes that's also an excuse, right? Because we're still paying for dinner or we're still paying for our holidays or we're st- we just don't want to invest in ourselves. And, you know, I definitely, like there is so much help out there. There are helplines. Like I, I'm the biggest yep. advocate for taking the first step, however that needs to look for you. I'm not downgrading yep. about the payment, but I'm like, check in with yourself. Like we've said today, are you sabotaging and putting up an excuse as well? So Roger, we're about to finish up now. There's two questions I want to ask. One is our finishing question. But before we get to that, I guess I just want to ask you how you're going with everything we've spoken about today, because I know you've said it and you've spoken about things that you haven't spoken about publicly before. So where are you sitting right now? What stayed with you? Where are you at? Thank you for asking, because that means an awful lot, just the fact that you've asked that. And here we are on a podcast and you're asking that question, because I actually think that that's what is lacked. It's been lacked with a lot all the way through. How are you thinking? Where are you at? Are you okay? Yeah. So thank you. I, I sincerely appreciate you asking that. And what I would like to say in response to that is, I'm in a really good place at the moment. I'm getting the help that I know that I need and I can work through that. And I'm really excited with the future of a healthy shift with the business. And I think taking the journey that I've taken over the last three years has actually reinforced and helped me 
to come from a position of experience again, not an experience that I wanted, but it actually puts me in a position of experience to help other people. And you are so passionate about helping others. I mean, that's what I'm most drawn to. And like I said to everyone, I have loved listening to all your podcasts and I just want to, you know, just give you the biggest cuddle through this Zoom through our (laughs) Riverside just to be like, you know, I just – it's one of the hard things is always being online when I do this. Like I just, I wish I'm giving you so many virtual cuddles through here. But the question that I love to finish with is, is there someone or something in your world that truly makes you belly laugh? Off the charts, belly laugh. My best mate who I keep in my life because he makes me belly laugh. He's been my confidant and my rock over the last three years. And Stuart, if you're listening to this, I've got to tell you, you make me like he can say things off the cuff that I just I can put the phone down and then I can literally walk away and every second I think of it I laugh. You still every laugh. <laughs> we all need a steward in our life. We all need a steward in our life because he is so quick with the things that he says and how he says it, and I just keep him in my life literally for that. <laughs> Stuart, no, I don't. I'm shouting out to you. <laughs> Stu's a great mate, and he's been a, he's been a, a very solid friend for ten years for me. But over the last three years, and you know, with what I've gone through as well, Ellie, it's quite interesting. The people that you think are going to be there are not, yeah. and the people that you don't, you never thought of, step up to the plate, which is amazing. And I've had three people that have, Stu has always been there, but I've had another two that have really stepped up, that have really surprised me, that have been incredible. They just check in all the time. Do you know what I just want to say to that? There's different people for different times in our lives in different circumstances, same as there's the right strategy for the right person at the right time. So that's what you're talking about there. There's different people that come in and out of our worlds at different times for different reasons, and that is okay. And when there's a crisis, it doesn't mean that the person that you expect is going to be there is going to be there. Yeah. But if you wait, the person that's that you need will be sent to you at the time. I believe that too. I do. And what a beautiful way to finish this podcast. Roger, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much. I just feel, I feel relieved. Thank you. There is something really powerful when a grown man speaks really honestly about his struggles and challenges. Roger spoke about aspects of his life that he has never shared in public before. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of the work that he's doing professionally and the work that he's doing personally. I know firsthand what it's like to live with a shift worker for decades and that lack of sleep, constant interruptions to life, long days, the fatigue and the inconsistent rosters. I just want to give a massive shout out to all the shift workers out there. You are truly amazing and the world could not operate without you. Thank you for everything that you do every single day. Roger mentioned Jess Lawton's episode a few times, which is episode 22 on high functioning anxiety. So jump in and have a listen if you haven't already. My three key takeaways from this episode. It is never too late to start. It is absolutely okay to pop your hand up and say, I need some help. And that we are all human with a story. Here is a man who stands before you talking about his hardest challenges when he spends his life helping and serving others. Thank you, Roger, for sharing your story with us today. And I will see you all next Monday. 
Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode. Oh, 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 oh,